Hi, and welcome to Sam Was Here, a podcast for parents who have lost a son or a daughter to addiction. My name is Angie, and Sam was my son. He died of an overdose in November of 2022, and he was 23 years old. I'm here to talk about Sam's addiction, his death, the aftermath, and my choice to move forward. I hope other parents will recognize that they are not alone and be inspired towards healing as I share the steps that I have found useful in my own grief. We can't bring our kids back, but I believe that we can and should grow stronger in their death because it's the only choice that we have. One of the most difficult aspects of Sam's addiction for me was that I always felt confused. His stories, his explanations, and his actions always felt a little bit off. Welcome back to Sam Was Here. This is episode number 10. My name is Angie. I was, am, and always will be Sam's mom. Today I'm going to cover four topics and I'm going to start by talking about that confusion that living with an addict often feels like. And I'm going to talk about why that happens and how I'm trying to reconcile with it now. Second, I'm going to tell you about a really scary dream that I had. Third, I'm going to tell you how and why we have to act, not think, our way through our grief. And I'm going to let you know how I'm trying to do this myself. And fourth, I'm going to talk about the past week, where I am in my timeline of grief. And then, as always, I'll leave you with three simple action steps you can take immediately or as soon as you can to make yourself and your life feel better. And I'll leave you with this week's limerick. I just want to remind you all, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a licensed professional. I am a grieving mom. I'm here to share the story of Sam's addiction, his death, the aftermath, and my how I'm trying to move forward and settle into my grief and my healing. So let's start with our first topic, living in confusion. Addicts lie a lot because it's the way to keep with their supply. And Sam did this a lot. And what happens with these lies is that when they first start, they're almost imperceptible, these little shifts. One thing that looking back, I noticed about Sam was that he started to pay a lot of attention to my schedule. He would ask, oh, when are you working? Then when are you going to be home? And of course, what I wanted to believe was that he just was that type of a kid that wanted to know what's going on. But in reality, I sort of knew that that's not really his personality. So I kind of wondered about it, but at that point I wasn't aware at all that he was into drugs, but I was very curious about that. And then the confusion, the loss of equilibrium in my relationship with Sam often came just from from weird weird experiences from him, you know, saying that he got sick and left work early to him taking these long bus routes for for whatever reason. One day I got home in my apartment. It was years ago when I was living in an apartment after my divorce, and it was immaculate. It was very, very clean, vacuum dusted, everything put away. And Sam had done that. I was just so proud of him. He was early on into his treatment. And I was convinced that that he was just doing something, you know, to be really nice. But I found out later that at that point he had started using meth. So he was getting really, really productive. Also, things that we would get him would disappear. He would say that he lost them, but actually we knew he was probably selling them. So I really wanted to believe Sam. 
especially as he's into his recovery, because I don't really know what it's like to be a teenage boy. I don't know what it's like to be in a recovery program, and I don't know what it's like to be addicted to hard drugs. So I wanted to be respectful. I wanted to give him space. I wanted to not overthink everything. And, but I honestly didn't, um, I didn't understand it. And, and as his addiction grew worse, so did the confusion of why he did what he did when he did it. It all became very entangled and, and even more confusing. So long before Sam died, I just always had that little trigger that something Something wasn't quite right. I think this happens to a lot of us parents. We want so desperately to believe that whatever's going on, whatever weirdness, whatever things that don't make sense, it's just part of the recovery process. But I, it's really part of the disease of addiction is what it is. Keep in mind who our kids are dealing with when they get more drugs, typically drug dealers, typically maybe other people who are using. So it's not like it's a set schedule. It's not like it's a timely process. And as they have to manipulate their own lives and our lives to be able to get their drug needs met, it does serve to, it did serve at least me to feel very off balance. I was constantly questioning the things I was questioning. I think this is just part of living with and loving a son or daughter or anybody that is addicted to hard drugs. My second topic I want to talk about is dreams. I don't dream very much or I don't remember my dreams very much. But the other day I was taking a nap and I had a very difficult dream. I dreamed that I was looking through a photo album and there was a picture of Sam. And in the picture, he started to walk around or run around. He was a little boy. And I either started to say or wanted to say, Sam, and then either I knew or somebody told me, and I can't remember, they said, you can't talk to him and you can't let him know that he didn't make it this far. And that was really, really an unsettling dream because I thought about it and I thought, what, what would he have said if when he was a little kid, if somebody told him, you know, you got 23 and a half years on this planet, and then it's over. And it's just, it's very, very unsettling. So obviously I'm crying now, and I'm gonna try not to cut this out because I want to show what my grief is. I wanna be honest about it. And the problem is, is that there's no solution. The only thing that we can do, the only thing that I can do, the only thing that you can do, the only thing that we can do is keep walking forward and try to become stronger. I think when we have nightmares of their death, all it is is just mirroring our waking hours and the fact that we won't hear that voice again unless we watch a recording or listen to phone messages, all of which I have kept for a long time now, thinking that if this ever was the conclusion that I came up to, I wanted to have every single part of Sam boy, oh boy, am I bumbling right now. I'm going to move on to my third topic, which is why we have to act, not think our way out of a problem. I really do touch on this a little bit at the end of every single episode when I give you your action steps, but it's really, really important that we keep acting to move ourselves forward. And one of the reasons is, is because there aren't any neutral actions in grief. 
were either moving forward or staying the same or slipping back. When we get to the point when we have a choice of taking action, maybe some of you listening don't have that choice right now. And I understand. For me, it's been over nine months now. And so I do have a choice of how I can act forward in my life. I'm often really, really grief stricken, but I still have these choices. And the thing that I'm seeing now in my life is that every small action that I take towards a goal, a project, or even a problem that I'm having moves me forward a little bit. One of the things that has helped me the most through Sam's addiction and his death is my writing. And there are actually very specific reasons why writing helps, especially during grief. Writing will help us recover memories. This is really important because as time goes on, there's a lot of confusion. And it's only because of my writing through Sam's addiction and death that I have been able to keep my timeline straight. And for some people, they're better at organizing things in their mind. I'm not. So I'm really glad that I've kept it straight in my mind. Another reason is that it puts your life events into perspective. This doesn't sound like anything that would be beneficial to us right now, but every single problem that I've had or issue that I've had or thing that I've been trying to figure out, I've navigated it through writing because that's how powerful it is. It's a great mental exercise. Also, this is a big one for me. Writing helps to organize our thoughts. Sometimes I feel so overwhelmed that I think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do first. I have too much to do. I'll never get it done. And then I task myself to sit at my desk and make a list of everything that I have to do. There has never been one time that my list has made me feel more anxious than the list that I keep in my head. It has always been very beneficial. Mainly the reason why we have to take action is because thinking solves nothing. It just doesn't work. We can think of the action to take, but we don't solve any issue. We don't solve any resentment. We don't solve any grief. We don't solve any problem. We don't solve anything in our lives by keeping it in our head. It has to, we have to give it a space to go. Our head is too full right now. So I don't believe that there are any neutral actions in our life. We're either moving forward towards where we wanna go or we're losing opportunities and slipping back to where we don't wanna be. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, one thing is sure, we have to do something. We have to do the best we know how at the moment. If it doesn't turn out right, we can modify it as we go along. How true this statement is, action is one of the most beneficial ways that we can move forward. Moving on to my last topic, which is how my week has been. But I, before I want to go back and I want to recap the first three points of this podcast. The first point, when we have a son or a daughter or a loved one who is suffering addiction, we often find ourselves in a confusing haze in our brain. This is normal, and it doesn't mean that we lost our mind. It means that there's confusing behavior going on, and we're trying to make sense of it. And we wanted to believe our kids. We wanted to believe it was part of their recovery, but instead it was actually part of their disease. Second, these dreams are really, really terrifying. 
They unsettle us. They make us feel like we have no reprieve. But unfortunately, it is a part of our life. It is a part of what we're going to have to deal with. I wouldn't spend too much time trying to make sense of our dreams because how do we make sense of this kind of grief? Third, remember, we have to act, not think, our way out of this. We're never going to get away from it. This grief is ours to stay, and it's never going to shrink. Our only choice is to move forward and to build muscle around our heart. And that does bring us to part four of this podcast, which is a weekly recap of my timeline of grief. I think this part of the podcast is really important simply because it illuminates that no matter how long we've been in our grief, we're all at a different cycle in our timeline, and every single one is normal. My week has been really emotional. I've recently been connected with a woman who lost her son just this summer. And when I see her raw heartfelt, overwhelming panic and grief. It reminds me of how I felt the first few months after Sam died. But to be honest, I feel that way so frequently now that I can't even imagine how I survived until now. I'm not only honored to be a support system for this mom, but I hope that I can be an example of somebody who has survived. The second part of my emotional week was my participation into an exhibit called intolight.org. And I have mentioned this project before. It was put on by a mom who lost her own son to addiction. She travels from state to state to different cities and requests that people who have lost a loved one to addiction submit their picture and answer some questions. And then a story is created around the questions that we answer and a picture is sketched from the picture that we have provided. And it's put on exhibit in different cities and it'll be here in Denver for a few months. And it was super, super emotional for me to walk into that room and to see my son, a friend of my son's, the son of two friends of mine, and that boy's best friend. So out of 26 pictures on that wall, I was somehow connected with four of them. It just seems like way too many. I walked into that exhibit crying. I think I cried the whole time and I left crying. And I got home and I cried and I basically cried all day today as well. Because the truth is, is that when I walk into a room and I see all these pictures of these beautiful young people whose lives are taken so soon and so early due to this horrible, horrible epidemic, it's, it really breaks my heart. I know there are so many people out there that are in so much pain, just like I am. One of the positive things that I did this week was when I went hiking, I found a new trail. I am such a creature of habit by nature, and I tend to go to the same trails. I notice the same roots. I notice the same rocks, the same trees. And consequently, I believe that I have the same thoughts. So this week I decided I needed to venture out and go to more new places. And it really worked because as a consequence of being somewhere new, I started to pay a lot of attention to the new sites I was seeing. And that really did serve to keep me in the present moment during that entire hike. And we all know that the best way to stay out of the past and the future is to remain in the present. So I believe that finding these little ways to keep us connected to the present moment is super beneficial in our healing. And now before I close out this week's podcast with my weekly limerick, I want to remind you of three very important action steps to take every single day. These steps are not magical. They are just the first bricks in our foundation towards healing and learning to survive our grief. First, every single day, do one thing that brings you joy. If you're new to your grief, nothing's going to bring you joy. So as soon as you can, and for any amount of time, try to find something that used to give you joy and reconnect with it. 
Second, do one thing that makes your life better. By this, I mean a responsibility, complete a project, get something that done that is weighing you down. And third and most importantly, every single day, connect with at least one person who both understands you and supports you in this journey. And when you are strong enough, you can turn around and support somebody else who is standing exactly where you are right now. And here is the limerick that I wrote for this week's podcast. One night I had a dream. I saw you alive, it seemed. It felt so real. I cry for you still. Together, we're forever a team. Thank you so much for stopping by this week. Have a peaceful day. I'll see you next time.